You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. Hello, everybody. My name is Neha Mahajan, and I'm the Business Development and Outreach Manager. I'm based out of Edison, New Jersey. But today, joining me from Texas, Houston, Texas, is Ashima Chok. She's a partner and attorney with the firm. And from Santa Clara, it's our partner and attorney, Kirti Kalra. Welcome, everybody. Today, well, we're going to be talking about non-competes. Who gets to pay the fees in uh, H-1B? Is it the employer? Is it the employee? Like, you know, there, there, there's always this uh, uh, tug of war, so as to say. You know, sometimes employers uh, deduct whatever immigration-related fees there is from employees' uh, salaries in an indirect way. Um, is that the right way to do it? Is, are there any repercussions to it? Is it even legal? You know, we'll get into the details. We'll discuss all about it. But first, we'll start with some news. Uh, Kirti, off to you. What's the news? Well, the March visa bulletin came out uh, yesterday. And I think it was yesterday or the day before. But uh, there, was, there weren't as much changes as everybody was expecting. Um, the only thing that really moved was the... Um, the process, the final action dates for EB2 for about four, four or five months went from January to May uh, for whatever year it's been stuck in for a long time. Um, but uh, besides that, I, I think um, there was really no changes. Uh, the filing dates all remained the same. And I, I think that might be due to the amount of application they're still receiving for adjustment of status. Um, other than that, uh, there's really not much on the visa bulletin. Um, I think the only thing to keep in mind for everybody is that even though there wasn't a lot of change in the visa bulletin, uh, interfiling is still in full fledged. People are, uh, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, waiting on their particular category by interfiling. They're moving on to different categories, and and that's that's pretty much the hot topic right now for. Uh, for the visa bulletin. Yes, absolutely. And especially for those who were born in India, it's a big deal because they've been stuck here for more than a decade. And this is actually, um, you know, fresh air for them, right? This is, yeah, this is for the last few years, it's been that way. Yeah, the last few years, ever since yeah. they moved in October, there's been this new revival of hope and, and you know, even interest towards uh, filing green cards because people were losing faith in it. People were saying, man, it's going to take 10, 15 years. I'd rather go to Canada or somewhere else to pursue my career. Yeah. Uh, Cause nobody wants to be in this limbo for 10, 15 years. Uh, and, uh, but since because of the movement, there's a renewed interest, there's a, a lot of people coming on board. So yeah, it's exciting times for uh, people that have been waiting for their green card. Yes. I mean, there's something to be thankful for. Thank because of COVID, you know, <laughs> that these dates have yeah. been gone. So yeah, I would say because rules, rules haven't changed. Nothing's changed with the law, you know. Right. Uh, people have been trying for the longest time. So nothing's changed there. It's just the 
the the whole COVID situation has uh, made immigration for you know employment based uh, immigrant visas a possibility for a lot of us. So so that's that's right. good news, right? Right. Um, and then the H-1B cap season, that's about to begin March 1st, I guess, you know, that's when the registrations would begin. But I guess the biggest discussion is around who bears the cost? Is it the employee or is it the employer? Because I guess that's where everybody kind of tussles together. Now, can employers seek reimbursement for H-1B costs? Um, and then all the visa expenses that employers must cover, what are those kind of visa expenses, right? and whether non-compete agreements are enforceable for H-1B workers. This is what we're gonna to discuss today. Uh, Kirti, I you know, wanna start with the, this discussion, the H-1B, you know, it's an employment-based visa. And you would imagine that the employer would bear all the cost, you know, um, but is it, um, is it so that apart from paying the monthly salary an employer is also liable to pay for any uh, immigration-related fees that they must incur to keep that employee, literally, you know, on status uh, in the United States of America. Is that true? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, cost of retaining talent has gone up significantly, whether it's adding benefits or adding salary uh, increments at a higher clip, especially in the last year or so that's just been exaggerated employers are under a lot of pressure to keep the talent but at the same time not burn through all their money and not lose their talent because what what employers rely on is is their is their people I mean, most businesses are um, are people run and they rely on people so to keep them is essential now i, I guess where it gets a little murky is um, you know along with this task of retaining talent by offering great benefits, great salary, you know, flexibility, um, some of this talent has to come from overseas because simply in the tech, tech field, uh, tech sector, where, where we mainly operate out of in our chick firm, um, you know, they have to pay additional fees for the visa filing fees, which can be quite significant depending on the size of your company and um and and they vary based on that now how much of it can the employee pay for answer is close to zero and, I, and I, the reason i say close to zero is because there's an exception to it and one exception is the premium processing fee even the exception to the exception is that the employee can only pay for the premium processing fee if it's for the employee's benefit. For example, the employee needs to travel, he needs the approval before he leaves, or the employee stuck outside the country, he wants to come back in quicker, so you, they can pay for the premium processing fee. But if it's for the benefit of the employer, the employer must pay for the premium processing fee and cannot pass it on to the employee. Right. So, I mean, the short answer is, yeah. yeah, no, the short answer is, yeah, uh, the employer cannot, um, cannot push the cost on to the employee. It's an additional cost that they must, and, and you're right, it adds up quite significantly, depending on how large you are as an employer. And um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's ginormous. Just, just the whole, you know, except for the USCIS filing fee, you also have attorney fee and then, you know, some sort of administrative costs associated to it. 
and then right. you know so all those really you know what what's coming to my mind here is kirti all those who call h1b as cheap labor well here you know there's a lot of cost associated with oh, it's definitely talent. not cheap labor yeah it's definitely not cheap labor in fact you know some some of the complaints that we get is the employers say that look the prevailing wage are out of touch with the real wages. Prevailing wages are much higher in, in case of H-1Bs than, uh, uh, than, than salaries of uh, green card holders or citizens. And on top of that, we have to pay the, uh, all of these additional fees. It, it's, it's insurmountable. It's never, it's never been cheap labor. And I think it's just a misconception. Um, and, and it, to be fair, it's it's been abused in the past where people incorrectly use the H-1Bs and L's, where you know they miscategorize people or uh, file them out of different locations. That's all fraud, right? So that, yeah. aside from that, I would say most of the H-1Bs and L's are used properly and they're not cheap. Yeah, absolutely. Kirti, you know, following up on uh, the whole fee, uh, discussion that we are having, who gets to pay the bill, really? Um, can employees be made to pay the attorney fee? No, no, it, it's it's all about procuring the H-1B visa. That involves every type of fee there is, right? So whether that's uh, the the fee, anti-fraud fee, the filing fee, public law fee, attorney's fee, they're all included. It's the cost that they must bear and it's to prevent any sort of, you know, uh, it's, it's the safeguards around these fees so that they don't get passed around in one way or another. They're, they're all right. covered. So what happens to those employers who pass the buck to the employee and makes it sound that they're making a huge favor to these employees? And right. uh, well, we'll cut the salary, we'll cut the you know money through your salary. You can pay it to us in installments and the talk around it. What, what, I mean, it's an employment-based visa, right? And an employee, right. from an employee perspective, they're scared. They don't want to lose the job because that will jeopardize their visa status. So it's kind of a tricky situation there, right? Right. No, and what happens to them is fairly big, right? For example, what I tell uh, employers when they say, hey, why can't we pass it on or what's the deal? You know, uh, can we just make them bear some of it? I don't have to bear this for everybody. Why do I have to bear for them? I simply tell them this, it's the equivalent of an employee showing up to work and then you asking them to pay for their laptop or pay to use the best that they're working on. At that point, they're not employees, they're contractors, right? So um, that that's kind of what I try to tell them. If, if it's part of what it takes to make an employee. Now, this, it's additional cost. And if they, if they pass it on, in the course of a DOL audit, it will definitely come up. In, in the course of a USCIS site visit, it will definitely come up. And the repercussions are huge. Uh, not only will uh, the employer be required to pay back wages, they, on top of that, they will be required to pay um, additional fines and penalties. And in severe cases, they, they can be disbarred from using this uh, visa program. It is not something that every employer is entitled to. In order to use this visa program, they must follow the rules. And if they violate the rules for the visa program, they will lose their uh, ability to use that program to retain talent, which clearly they need. Uh, if they're going through these steps to get these individuals from overseas, they clearly need this talent. So 
um, being disbarred is a pretty serious thing, uh, and it's normally followed by a huge amount of fines. All right, employers, I hope you're taking note of that. You are liable to pay any fees that comes with retaining an H-1B talent and making sure their immigration status is up to date. Now, um, is there any fees that an H-1B employee must pay? Um, must pay? No, there, there are no fees that the employee must pay. Um, like the only thing that they could pay for is the premium processing if if it's to their benefit. Um, and if it's to the employer's benefit, the employer must bear the premium processing fee. All right. And I just want to reiterate this discussion that we are having today is for informational purposes only. If you have any questions, info at chook.com. That's your best friend. Just send us those questions there. We'll make sure we set up a consult and get to know more about your situation and get you just the right kind of advice that you need. And the discussion that we are having today is is in no way a client attorney relationship. Like I said before, this is just for informational purposes. So Kirti, so the H-1B employee doesn't necessarily pay for anything, but maybe, you know, like a premium processing fee if they really want to go that route, right? Now we know that an H-1B is an employment-based visa, right? Are there any restrictions to how many hours can an H-1B work? You know, we typically think that H-1B is um, a 40 hour a week, employee is that what it is i know there are some exceptions and i want you to tell us more about it right you know the same rules about exempt employees and non-exempt employees apply to uh, h1bs you know I, I think the the major restriction that comes up and the major issue that comes up with h1bs specifically h1bs is that the relocation of employees now we're in a very fast Pace environment, employees have to travel for work and they relocate. In fact, they're coming here to work in the first place and and then they get sent to different sites and different locations. Some 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 of our clients, which are mainly uh, software and hardware developers, they have to send their employees to client sites to implement some projects. Some of those projects last months, some of them last a few weeks. And what you have to be careful is about is whenever they go to a client site or different office within the company that you file an H-1B amendment, the reason for that is every site is governed differently in terms of the amount of wages must be paid for that location for that particular job. Yeah. So uh, a software engineer in, for example, in San Francisco, uh, which will come in the San Francisco County, uh, would be paid differently than um, a software engineer in, you know, Orlando, Florida. So yeah. we just have to make sure that the wages are covered based on the locale, which would normally require a, a new labor condition application, which must be filed with the nature of the Getting very detailed here, but key yeah. thing to keep in mind is that with H-1Bs, uh, before you relocate, check with your attorney, an amendment may or may not be required. You need to file those before you go ahead and um, relocate the employee. All right. And the employer bears the expense, right? Of course. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> any H1B, subsequent H1Bs, all the H1Bs you can imagine that come with it. And some of these some of these do add up over time. They, while, yeah. um, while they incrementally go down, because depending on how many extensions, is it the first extension, second extension? But uh, they do add up quite a bit, as you know. A lot of these uh, um, foreign workers 
are stuck here on H1B for quite some time waiting for the visa bulletin to become current. So yeah. some of them get four, five, six, seven extensions before they get to their H1B. So absolutely absolutely thank you kirti that's that's been insightful and houston we have a problem here ashima you know you've been patiently waiting for me to ask you some questions and thank you for that you know we've seen some cases where employers make their sign they make their employees or force their employees kind of like arm twist their employees really to sign a non-compete right and what is a non-compete, first of all, and is this even legal to do? Uh, before I get to the non-compete, I would just like to comment on what Kirti had said about enforcement uh, on uh, paying on the fees and audits. So I actually had a case where the employer uh, sued the employee when he left for getting the money he paid for the fees back. So in that case, not only the contract uh, was voided, but I also got my attorney fees for because it's a violation of LCA and the federal law that you ask for fees from your employees. So I actually got the attorney fees for that. Now I'll come back to non-competes. I just wanted to make a comment on that. Do you mind if so, I add something to that? Um, sorry. Yeah. Um, and and it um, this is the employer employee went through an attorney, got their attorney fees to get paid for. Now, had the employee gone to the DOL, they would have opened a much broader investigation, not just for that employee themselves, but for all the other employees that have been uh, maybe underpaid or fees recouped from. So you can imagine how quickly this can escalate. Sorry, go ahead. I thought I had yeah, I think, yeah, no, you're right. And I think that was the reason why I got paid attorney fees and had the case settled. <laughs> so that doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So this can go, you know, employers might think they're, you know, uh, saving pennies here and there, but this could turn out to be something really against them in the long run. So employers beware. So coming to non-competes, you know, so non-competes are really restrictions on trade. They can take different forms. You can have non-competes uh, when there's a business merger. You can have non-competes when there's a business divorce. There are non-competes in employee-employee relationships. So, but for our purposes, we're just, just going to limit ourselves to the context of H-1Bs because, you know, we're really focusing on H-1Bs and non-competes there. So, H-1B is an employment right. So, it's a federal law which governs H-1B. So, and like uh, Kirti had mentioned, you have to file a LCA before we can even have uh, to determine the prevailing wage. And Kirti briefly mentioned that the prevailing wages are too high, but you still have to comply and pay. So the federal law states that you really can't have restriction. You cannot force an employee on H-1B to stay with you. But if the employee leaves you, uh, you can have liquidated damages. Uh, and that would be governed by the state law. So the non-compete is really when employees say, I'm an employer-employee relationship, and I leave my employer and go join somebody else, uh, they would have a contract saying that you can't go and join my competitor. So these are really restrictive movements so the question comes can they have a non-compete you know where they say okay you can't go join my competitor or you can't go work somewhere else in the same field for 10 years 15 years are they valid so i actually had a case where uh, that was a different case not from the one i said so in this particular case what had happened is uh, the employee was an h1b it happened about 2000 i think in 2007 around 2007 the numbers became current. So everybody wanted to go file, you know, whoever was filing green card wanted to file 485. So in this particular case, the employer said, okay, you know, I, I would 
make I'll file on your behalf the green card application as long as you pay uh, uh, the liquidated damages if you go and work for somebody else or you leave me or uh, or if you leave uh, at least you have to work with me after two years until you get your green card so yeah. that was a uh, that was a provision in that particular case so the uh, so i thought that was quite unreasonable because it's more like dearest so you want to keep your job you want to file your petition but you are kind of bound to sign it because you're under so much pressure that you want to get this done so this particular case the person the employee had signed the non-compete but my argument was that this was dearest and you can't just make the person sign and it was voided uh, the non-compete clause so every state has their own law the federal law requires that you can have liquidated damages you may not be able to enjoin somebody you can have liquidated damages but it has to be according to the state law now each state law is different it doesn't matter you know i'm in texas i can tell you about texas law but every state is different so in texas non-compete is really a covenant in the contract you have to comply with the contractual principle or contract uh, the basic this, any non-compete should have to have a consideration. You cannot have a non-compete without a consideration. And it must be valid, reasonable. There has to be some legitimate business interest which you can protect. Yeah. Now, apart from this, in Texas, you know, uh, for physicians, you know, if you're, you can have an H1B on physician, yes. right? So in case of physicians, you even have to have a buyout provision that there has to be a reasonable liquidity damages clause where you can, uh, uh, the uh, physician can have a buyout where they can buy it out for so much amount. Uh, so that's really what the Texas non-compete is. Uh, so you can have a restriction, but the restriction has to be reasonable and it has to protect your legitimate business interest, not just trying to uh, uh, protect you from having competition or uh, you know, paying yeah. your employees less wages so they don't go anywhere else. Yeah. So, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, it does to a certain extent, Ashwin. I'm very thankful that there are laws in place that uh, kind of, uh, you know, supports the H-1B program and the employees on H-1B, H-1B visa holder as well. Because what, have, what, what uh, um, employers do not recognize is that they're not just, uh, you know, losing out on talent, by by restricting them in this way but they're also messing up with the person's immigration status completely and not just that person's but also the family that comes with that with That's that true. person right so it's it's really they're 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 uprooting an entire family from the united states of america by enforcing these clauses. because i guess employers pretty much pretty much know that h1b visa holders can't quite go easily anywhere because of the way of their visa status, you know. No, you're right. But you know, I think uh, President Joe Biden is coming on uh, very hard on them now. In July of last year, there was an executive order passed where he said he actually told Federal Trade Commission that you know you have to uh, not have these non-competes. He's completely against the non-compete. So there was uh, rules, and I think uh, this year the Colorado State actually made it criminal for having a non-compete, except few clauses. So you could actually be in prison, you know, it's, they made it criminal and I was surprised. You know, I think Colorado was one of the first states to make it criminal. Then yeah. uh, Oregon said that you, know, you cannot have uh, non-competes for somebody who's less than, I think they have it about 100,000. So, and it has okay. to be limited to 
here. So the non-competes to be valid first, you know, you have to be able, they have to be reasonable. Apart from being reasonable, they have to be limited in scope, time duration, uh, I think, and the area, the geographic area where it is. So it just have an overbroad, yeah. it's going to be unenforceable. Uh, some judges would reform and reforming is a fancy way of saying that they reduce the to make it valid, but some states outright say, no, they're not going to reform. Like there was a case where uh, there was a buyout provision in the Texas case, uh, but the judge said, I'm not going to uh, reform the amount. The amount is too high. You yeah. did it. I'm going to just void it. Right. So, and then some people forum shop, like Florida is very friendly to non-compete, but they say, you can't just have a, a forum where there's not much relation and try to forum shop. It has to have some legitimate interest. So I think uh, it's very, very important to have non-competes narrowly construed. Uh, and then uh, in Texas, it has to be ancillary to the main legitimate contract. So you can't have non-compete on its own. Say now yeah. people are interfiling or so the employer comes and say, okay, here it's non-compete. Texas, you can't do that. It has to be part of the main contract. Yeah, I mean, these are these are some amazing things that you've just uh, mentioned here, Ashima. But, you know, uh, from a from a visa holder's perspective, if an employer asks that person to sign a non-compete at a stage where that person's green card is at stake. Sure. You know, because these dates don't get current often. It happens sure. probably once in a lifetime, really, at this point. Uh -huh. Right. So and, and it's a very small window. If they miss their window, the visa holder will miss the opportunity of becoming a green card holder. And that's what is at stake. So can employers really force their employees to sign a non-compete? Well, they can force And You know, I briefly mentioned about the previous case I had. So that yeah. was a case about, uh, in think, 10 years ago. So in that case, very similar. You know, they had a small window to 585. The employee did sign the non-compete, but it was signed in Duras. So even if they sign it, it's not going to be enforced. Okay. Okay. It so has, that's great to know. Yeah, that's great to know. It's not going to be enforced. Perfect. This has been such an eye opener. Uh, and I'm sure for you also, audience, this has been quite eye opener. If you are in a situation like this, all right, feel free to reach out to us. Yeah, you know, uh, sometimes when you are in a situation like this where there's a lot of pressure, the employer is pressurizing you, and then you, there's a small window where you have to file for your green card, and you don't know whether the dates would retrogress or what, what's going to happen with you. Well, we have attorneys here who can file litigation. We have attorneys here who are experts and who can guide you just the right way. Info at chook.com. That's our email ID. Uh, www that's our you know website and um, you know we'll we'll reach out to you kirti very briefly i want to ask you this question because we literally have 2 minutes left what can an employer do to protect their trade secrets well you know i i think the aside from what's normally you can do to protect trade secrets you can't really have any from an immigration standpoint there aren't any additional things that you could do uh you can't you know threaten you def, i can tell you what you can't do you can't threaten the employee to you know uh withdraw their h1b's and whatnot to while they're you know trying to switch their employers and whatnot but there's nothing additionally you can do especially threaten from an immigration standpoint to protect your trade secrets uh, i think ashima might have um, a better idea yeah. on how to handle that question sure uh, 
from the contractual standpoint, you can. You can have a non-solicitation clause. You could have a non-disclosure agreement. And you must always have a, a liquid damages clause. Uh, where And that has to be reasonable. So I think you should always have that. So uh, don't make it in the middle of the employment. Make it beforehand when you actually hire an employee. Make it at that point. Because, you know, you have to show that it, it is supported by consideration. So when you have something... Uh, like this, when you're interfiling, when the numbers become current and you present those contract, you know, it, it just shows that this wasn't any legitimate business because you're trying to protect. So it was just your personal agenda for the employer trying to focus on. And it's going to be unenforceable, even if you do that. And even if a person signs it, and it's going to be ultimately voided. Yeah. And yeah. just to add to that, liquidated damages, you just have to be slightly careful uh, that there are uh, in relations to something else besides immigration and, and i say yeah. this uh, because the, if, when the uh, i've seen a lot of situations where there are liquidated damages in dwell audits and and uscis site visits when there are liquidated damages uh, and they amount to very similar to what the visa fees are um so it's it, it they're just wording it differently but that's just another way to reclaim it and the DOL officers and the uscis officers are very well aware of this that this strategy so Make sure if you're going to have liquidated damages, it's related to something else altogether, not the same or similar amount to the um, H-1B fees or. Thank or, you, or I think so. Thanks for clarifying. It, it, you're you're right. It should not appear to be a penalty. It doesn't you know? It shouldn't be appearing right. to be a penalty. That's the key here. It has to have reasonable protection of trade secrets and confidential information that you might be giving it to the employees. So it's solely for that purpose. Exactly. Yeah, and with that, we've come to the end of our discussion. Thank you so much for joining us today. A big thank you to our attorneys, partner and uh, partner and attorneys, Ashima Chok from Houston, Texas, and Kirti Kalra from Santa Clara office. And to all of you for joining us today, like I said before, this discussion is for informational purposes only. Whatever we discuss today does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have any questions for us, info at chook.com. We'll be ready to help you. See you next week then. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chook.com for legal and immigration and www.chook.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chook LLP team.